Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 1-12-2022. We're ready to begin our worship service. And let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time we have uh, this evening. We thank you for those who have joined our, our conference. And we pray, Father, for Word is Truth Christian Church today, wherever they may be, uh, whether they are ill or or have or do not have COVID. We pray for those who have lost loved ones as well. Uh, we know we're living in tough times as far as this virus, which is going, which is into its second year already. So we pray for relief here um, soon. Also, Father, uh, we, as we are uh, focused on the verses ahead of us, we pray for wisdom. We pray that we will understand and know how to use these verses properly. Pray for each person that is here. We're asking that you challenge them with your word and the spirit of truth and uh, give us wisdom as we approach these verses and knowledge. All this we ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right. We are in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Um, and they read, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So we're, we are moving through the book of Romans pretty swiftly now. We're coming, even though we're taking our time, we are making ground. To note, there is past studies that we have conducted on Romans and John and other places, Ephesians, all found on the website, wordistruth.com. There's much there for you to consider. Uh, if you want to know what we're about, if you just want to peek in and say, well, what does Word is Truth believe? Uh, you can go there and you can find exactly what it, where we stand on many of these doctrinal issues. Salvation, uh, what is the Christian way of life, uh, on and on. Uh, just in, uh, various topics about anything you'd like to discuss. You could pretty much find it somewhere on the website. So to note, to note that resource is out there for you, wordistruth.com. We just want to make that available at least uh, so that everybody is aware of the information that's there. So, you have notes, and we're going to dig in. Let's look at the verse in front of us, Romans 10, 9. Uh, so, in your notes, if ever there was a classic verse, Bible verse, these two verses would certainly qualify. I'd bet that they would rank as high in popularity as John three sixteen. Even though a verse may be popular, that does not mean it's generally understood. We are here to look at the verses in question. Remember, for us to understand any biblical verse and be saved, we need God the Holy Spirit. To note, these are not magic words. Reciting these words does not make anyone saved. Only God can save. And he has clearly done everything possible to reconcile us to the Father. So I say that, and we'll get into why I say that uh, as we proceed in the chapter and the verses here. Uh, I think if you've been already listening, you, you sort of already could figure out why that is. But let's dig into where we are. So the first point is, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. So the first point is, <clears throat> we should be clear that this should be read in the context we have been working with, where the apostle is helping the Jews understand how close salvation is to them. 
So if we review Romans 10, and this is the two verses prior to verse 9, I think we owe ourselves a little review just to refresh our minds about what we have already covered and why we, I, I am able to make that statement. So earlier we read in 10.6 and 7, but the righteousness that is of faith says, this is what it says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So that's 10, 6, and 7. Uh, so we covered 8, which says, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So what we found is that Paul took, and this is not the first time he took some passages from the Old Testament, from the law, and he quoted, and he made some analogies about how the Jews should have understood the gospel. So he made, he made this analogy about uh, Deuteronomy, this one, chapter 30, verses 11 through 18, and where it talks about who will ascend into heaven. But then he puts in parentheses, that is to bring Christ down. So when he says who will ascend into heaven, when it says who will ascend into heaven, Moses meant something different by that. Just to note, Paul is using these words, not necessarily the meaning that Moses said. Now, why would he do that? We covered this already, but I just want to say one more time. He did that because he's speaking to a Jewish audience. He's, well, he's not only speaking to a Jewish audience, he's speaking to Gentiles as well. But he's speaking about the Jew. And the Jew should understand or identify with the passages that he's mentioned here. And what, what, what did the Jew understand about these passages? Or should they have understood? Is that the law was easily accessible. There was nothing they had to do, nothing hard in order to obey the law. All they had to do was obey it. And... And one verse it says, I set before you life and death. Life, if you obey what the law says. Death, if you don't. I mean, if you want to live in the land and if you want to, you know, continue in the land, then obey the law. So the Mosaic law was a part of the nation's uh, obedience. And God, who was ruler of the nation would administer justice to them. And if you look in Israel's history, you have seen justice administered. Why? Because Israel did not obey. And they did lose, many of them lost their lives. God allowed them to be overrun, overtaken as captives and slaves. The Assyrian crisis, the Babylonian crisis, the, and obviously the one we read in Rome, Rome came, and besieged Jerusalem, and uh, many lost their lives. So the, the law was given to Israel as a nation for their good, so that they might remain in the land, be blessed, and so forth and so on. So, But the, Israel made it seem like the law was hard. It was something that was, oh my gosh, it's laborious. How am I going to keep the law? What am I going to do? How am I going to... He's saying the, the law wasn't hard. You could have obeyed. But you didn't. So, in this sense, he's saying salvation is not hard. It's here. And remember, we talked about why he's using this, because Israel put the cart before the horse instead of the horse before the cart. So, because of that, uh, Paul was trying to bring them back, orient them to where they should be putting is, is the horse in front of the cart. So that they could properly understand uh, God's will and, and, and obey. But no, they tried to obey from their own strength. And it was disastrous. If you ever wonder, if you want to read a good illustration about how Israel failed. And it's throughout the Old Testament, their failures. 
are very evident. We read the book of Hosea, not the whole book, but I've read most of it as we were going through uh, Romans 9 at the end where Paul quotes from there. We read some passages from Isaiah as, as well. But if you want to get a good understanding of what's happening with Israel or what happened, read Isaiah. Just read the book of Isaiah, 66 books. And I bet after you read that, you'll get a good understanding of the failures of Israel and how horrible things were, what God had to do. Obviously, Hosea is another one, and there's Ezekiel. And you got to read them all together if you really want to get a history lesson. But it's not necessary. I wouldn't say you have to understand the failures of Israel, but I think you should understand to some degree what happened so that you can, like Paul, make analogies and draw conclusions and use that information uh, as you focus your attention now on the church. So, so So, yeah, Paul used it, but he didn't use it in the way Moses used it. Hopefully you get that point. And you understand why Paul was able to do that? For instance, who will ascend into heaven? And what does he mean by that? Paul's going to tell you what he means, that is to bring Christ down. Or, who will descend into the deep? And Paul puts in parenthesis there, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So how are we to understand those two verses? Well, we know where Paul's getting them. We know why. Because it's easy. Israel didn't have to do anything. The law was right in front of them. It was right there in their mouth, in their hearts. All they had to do was believe it and do it. Be obedient. And yet, that was not the case. So Paul says, hey, you don't have to do the hard work, bring Christ down. You don't have to do the hard work, resurrect Christ. I'll take care of all the heavy lifting. All you have to do is believe it in your heart. Salvation is free. It doesn't cost anything. So, that's Romans 10, 6, and 7. 8 says, what does it say? So, what is, when he says, what does it say? In other words, just to make sure my interpreting is correct, one way to look at that is to say, well, Paul's going to tell you what he means in those two verses. Well, here's what he says in verse 8. The word is near you. What do you mean it's near you? It's available for you. It's easy. God did all the work and you don't have to work. It's not some arduous climbing into heaven or going down into the deep. He said, and it gives these two things. It is in your mouth and in your heart. What does it mean in your mouth and in your heart? We're coming to that. Obviously, I don't have to say we're coming to it. It means it's near you. <laughs> That's what it means. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. So we're going to get back to where we are in our notes today. And point number one, as I said, first we should be clear that this should be read in the context we have been working with, where the apostle is helping Jews understand how close salvation is to them, near to them, right? How close is it? It's in your mouth. If you declare with your mouth, okay? So he's still in context here. This is not something where people could just say, well, I got to say it with my mouth. (laughs) Paul is using a context that he has been using. So don't make it like, oh, you got to say it with your mouth or something. That's not the point. And that wasn't the point in the previous verses. And he continues to carry that metaphor forward. Hopefully you get that. Point B, to declare with your mouth it's not simply repeat after me. Okay, the uh, only reason I have to say this is because I heard it so many times. Repeat after me. Say these words. Like, these words will... If you say these words, then you will be saved. That's not what it is at all. just want to clarify. hope everybody uh, understands it's not a magic word type thing. Right? You don't... You don't tell somebody, okay, you want to be saved? The person looks at you like, well, I don't want to be lost. So then repeat after me. And then they mouth these words. And then at the end of it, you say, if you've said that, 
you're saved. Unfortunately, that is not salvation. I'm sorry. It is not. So, I'm just going to look at a couple thoughts here. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 is the first scripture I want to look at. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Here it is. Therefore, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. Now, of course, why would somebody want to say that? I don't know. Jesus, be cursed, that's pretty rough to say. But, obviously, I hear some background noise. Could you, whoever's there, make, make sure your phones are on mute. Uh, I do hear some background noise. So, notice, 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. So if you are saying that, obviously, it is not coming from God the Holy Spirit. That is not coming from God the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. Look at the second half of the verse. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord. Now notice, if you're saying Jesus is Lord, this is not just if you catch an unbeliever and say, repeat after me. And they say, okay, okay, I'm going to repeat after you. And you say, say, Jesus is Lord. And they say, Jesus is Lord. See, they can say the words, but that's, that's not what the text means, to, to just say those words. So, But notice, no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Let's just be clear. And the Holy Spirit is never going to curse Jesus, obviously. But the Holy Spirit will exalt him. That's for sure. So you can, you can bet those things are true. But why are they true? Why are they necessarily true? It's because it's not a matter of just simply saying that. It is a matter that the Holy Spirit must be involved. He must be involved. It is not just you repeat after me. So I got 1 John 1 9 here as well. Even though 1 John 1 9 is not a salvation passage. Let me just say that again, just in case people are weren't listening. 1 John 1 9 is not a salvation passage. Let me read it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, this reason why I would say there's something that we can use here in 1 John 1, 9, even though it is not a salvation passage, is because the word confess, or homo legato, is, is here, if we declare, and the word, the NIV translation, declare, is the same as if we confess in 1 John 1, 9. Same word, Translated declare on one hand and confess in the other. But confess, even in 1 John 1 9, does not mean that you can just confess anything. Okay, I'm guilty. I did it. Whatever the sin was, yes, Lord, I did it. That's not confession. It's specific. You agree with someone when you confess. And who do you agree with? It is God the Holy Spirit. When God the Holy Spirit brings to your consciousness that you have sinned you are aware of your sin it is then that you have an opportunity to confess it right to say to name to cite that sin to agree with the fact that you have done that whatever that sin is you, if you confess it it's the god the holy spirit uh, has made that aware, uh, known to you. So again, confession there is not just, well, just confess anything. But it is tied to the work of God the Holy Spirit and the believer's life. So it is, in this verse, this de declaration is tied to the work of God the Holy Spirit in the unbeliever's life. So, but it is the same thing. God, the Holy Spirit, does all the behind-the-scenes work. Let's continue in our notes, and we'll get more thoughts on that. Point C. Since the Spirit of Truth is involved here, he has to be. 
teaching about Jesus Christ must be taught by the Spirit to the extent that the person knows and understands the issues of the gospel. Now, you can say, Doug, you're adding a lot of words to the scripture. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's all it says in the scripture. Yes, that is true. But I just showed you that nobody can say Jesus is Lord in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, unless the Holy Spirit enables him or allows that. See, you can't just say Jesus is Lord because God, the Holy Spirit, has to reveal Jesus. You can't see Jesus as an unbeliever, spiritually dead under the wrath of God with an old sin nature. You can't. But God, the Holy Spirit, shows you your true condition. And then he shows you the only solution for your condition, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why he's involved. You you can't X out the Holy Spirit. There's no way. That will never work. He is involved, and he's involved in this verse as well. So it's not just Jesus is Lord. Because there's more to the gospel than the fact that Jesus is Lord. Doesn't even say anything about he paid for our sins. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Doesn't talk about how our sins were never imputed to us, but they were imputed to Christ. Doesn't talk about righteousness, etc., etc. Doesn't talk about believing. It's just declaring with your mouth Jesus is Lord, which could be a synonym for believing, just to note. So, this is how the Jews were to understand how close their salvation was to them. It's easy. And the spirit of truth is involved. And he's obviously taught this person how, uh, what, what is the gospel. Uh, I say this person, but this is a general statement. It's God the Holy Spirit has to bring a person to this point in order for them to respond in this way that point that leads us to point d to declare that jesus is lord just and just to note is a result of that understanding it is not just okay say these words no if a person declares that that means they they've come to that understanding and they can confess it they can say the same thing as what the Holy Spirit taught them. The Holy Spirit taught them that Jesus is Lord. We saw that. And all they're doing is confessing, declaring what they have already come to understand. Right? So, so that's, when we look at this verse, you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Remember, he's building on the analogy that he just had. Plus, He's helping us understand how easy it would be for the Jews to reverse verse 1. My heart's in, this is Romans 10.1. My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Yeah, they had lost. How can they reverse that? This easy. This is all they had to do. So, that's point D, to declare that Jesus is Lord, is a result. It's not the means, it's the result of that understanding. And then point E, with your mouth. And what does that mean? That means that anyone can believe. It is so near to them, a child could do it. Anyone has the availability of the gospel... And the word of truth, the spirit of God is, attends every person. There's none that the Holy Spirit will not teach this to. God is willing to save us. And so anyone, and I like what it says here in John 3, 15 through 18. We'll just do a quick read. John 3, 15 through 18. I'll start at 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Lifted up here is a reference to being crucified. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. Notice, everyone. 
it is available, right? Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, who, what does whoever mean? Anybody, any person, anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here it is again. Whoever, anybody, doesn't mean just a Jew, doesn't mean just anybody who has the law, just anybody. It's available to every single person. So that when it talks about God sent, gave his son, right? he gave his son, it's obviously to everybody. And this is another declaration of unlimited atonement, meaning the atonement is not limited in any way. It is universal. Everybody sins. Because why would he couldn't offer the results of Christ's work on the cross to anyone if it did not pertain to everyone. So whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Tells you everything right there. That's pretty straightforward. So that's what it means, <coughs> excuse me, with your mouth. That's what it, what it means with your mouth. It means it is available for everyone. It is not something that's hard. God did all the work. This is not something to do. It is literally something to believe. That's what the gospel is. So we're moving forward. Point two. Point number two. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Let's look at that. What are the, Point A. Believe in your heart. Again, this really is according to the context it means the ease and availability of anyone to believe in Christ. The same, same thing as the first phrase, in your mouth, in your heart. Same thing. Um, to, to believe in your heart means, is that close to you? Yes, it's absolutely close. It's just in your, in your thinking. You don't even have to go outside yourself because you already know this information. God, the Holy Spirit, works on the inside. So it's according to the context, it's the ease and availability of anyone to believe in Christ. Doesn't matter. Point B, believing is the result of God the Holy Spirit making the grace offer of salvation known to the unbeliever. So it's the result, right? And that's, that's an important point, I think, especially when people try to focus on these two verses as the end all of salvation. Everything you need to know about salvation is right here in these two verses. And then they'll quote Romans 10, 9, and 10, thinking that that covers it all. There it is. It says it right there. If you say these words, you're saved. Right? So point B is where believing is a result. And it's the result of God the Holy Spirit making, making this grace offer to you, known to the unbeliever. If you didn't get God the Holy Spirit working behind the scenes, if you didn't get that he's doing that, then you need to read also John 16, 8 through 11, where it says, when he comes, and that's God the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Then he goes into the detail of sin because... They, they do not believe on me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the prince of this world is judge and, and so forth. So if you read John 16, 8 through 11, then you see that God, the Holy Spirit, has a work that is going on to the unbeliever all the time, all the unbelievers. And since Christ died on the cross, he is has more new updated information so he makes that known to those on the earth so let's look at this um, this is a common verse and, and it's a result remember believing and when we think about believing in Christ you know people say well believe on the Lord how do you how can you be saved and that person says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ 
and you'll be saved. So th there's this verse in Acts 16.31 that actually says that. Let's read it. Because I want to look at what are some of the verses around that? How did they... Uh, did the jailer understand what was going on? What happened here? Let's let's look at, see what was going on before we, you know, that led up to this statement. Okay, so Acts 6, we'll start at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Well, maybe we should start earlier. I'm sorry. Let's go back to, well... We can't tell the whole story. We just don't have time for that. But just to note, Paul and Silas were thrown in jail for preaching the gospel. And that was, um, we're going to pick up to where, verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, just think about this, they were whipped. They were thrown in, into prison. And the jailer, here we have the first mention of this person, this jailer, was commanded to guard them Carefully. In other words, don't let them out of your sight. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. He wanted to make sure that these men are taken care of and make, make sure that they don't get away, that, you know, this, this is very serious. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now think about it. They were just whipped severely. This is, I mean, just imagine if you were whooped like this, and then what are you doing about midnight? You're praying and singing hymns to God. You're grateful. You're happy. That's odd in and of, in and of itself. I mean, just to think that after going through such a violent thing which is you know beating that they could be singing and praying and hymns to God huh. and so the other prisoners were listening to them I'm a sh I'm pretty sure the jailer was close by and listening to them as well so verse 26 suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he, he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, here's the context. What must I do to be saved? What a question. What a question. Uh, I would love that someone asks me that question. I think you should pray the same prayer. Please, Lord, send somebody to me with the question on their lips. What must I do to be saved? Now, don't get shocked in your shoes and like, wow, they really came to me and asked me that question. Now, what do I say? Well, hopefully you know what to say this point. Let me tell you what Paul's response was. They replied, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. It's interesting. Why didn't Paul quote here uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10? Well, if anyone, he, he could say, if you just declare that Jesus is Lord and and if you believe he was right, no, he didn't say any of that. This is what he said. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now, most likely, Paul is talking to a Gentile here. Who is he speaking to uh, in Romans here? The our verse, he's talking to Jews. So you should see the difference here. Of, now, the message is still the same, right? But he's giving the gospel to the Jews in a Jewish context. He's telling the Gentile here exactly what he needs to do. Now, watch this. It's still not over for the Gentile. 
He says, they reply, believe on the Lord, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then, look at verse 32, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. See, so what do you mean he spoke the word of the Lord? Yeah, he, he taught him. He gave him the gospel. See, this, this, here it is right here in verse 32. There's a context to this. So not only do we know that God the Holy Spirit was involved behind the scenes, but we see Paul and they're actively teaching not only the jailer, but those in his household. Verse 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and his household were baptized. They believed. They did what Paul said. What did Paul say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But that believing comes with a context. It's not magic. It's God. I mean, it's not magic. It is supernatural. But it is God, the Holy Spirit's supernatural nature of him uh, making real the gospel information to the person's soul. The jailer brought them to his house. He set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. They Now, there you're talking about save a saved individual right there. Back to our notes. Just wanted to give you some context. We're going to move a little faster. Point C, God raised him from the dead. This, what does it mean? Well, remember, the, the verse we're, we're looking at is, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So it, it speaks of the approval of the Father for the work of Christ. He is satisfied that Christ's work was effective. See, the resurrection is almost like a demonstration of God's propitiation. God is satisfied with the work of Christ on our behalf. For him to raise Christ from the dead, it signifies his approval of the work of Christ, that his work was indeed successful. It satisfies him for reconciliation for mankind. That's how you have to see it. Uh, it speaks of, of approval. Also, point D, where God raised him from the dead. Now, I'm just noting this. I'm just picking at the verse a little bit here, just so we can illustrate why. We need more information. Is this the gospel? And I say, yes, part of it. Where is the rest? The bad news, the atonement, righteousness, justification, being born again. Where's all that? Uh, lots of ways to say what the gospel is. <clears throat> There's a lot of ways to speak the gospel, speak and teach the gospel. But notice, all of that has already been done, so much so that the person already believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead. They already believe that. How did they get to that? How did they know that Christ died and was crucified and, and he, he was raised? How did they know all that? It's because there was teaching. These verses are not an end of themselves, to themselves. There is more information. This is a summary of the gospel, at best. So point E is stop looking at these verses as though they are the magic words. Unfortunately, many have done this. At best, they are a summary of the gospel. Spirit teaching is necessary. Why do I say spirit teaching? Because... Even though we can teach somebody, we can tell them what the good news is, we can tell them how it satisfies the bad news, really the Spirit is the one who properly addresses that person's heart. He prepares that person. He brings them to the place where he can see Christ. He offers salvation by grace freely to that person. So even though we can say the words, it is the Spirit that allows or brings that person to a decision. Yeah, we can help. <clears throat> Excuse me, we can help in the teaching of the gospel, but we are not the, the authority here. God, the Holy Spirit's in control. 
So point F. Many have adopted a magic word salvation instead of teaching the gospel. What happens in 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4? And if our gospel is hidden, it's hidden because people are not teaching it. If you go to churches, they don't teach the gospel. When it comes down to, well, how do you believe in Christ? Well, say these magic words. And if you've said these words, then you are saved. We believe you are saved. So go get yourself in a church, do this, do that, because you are already saved. You have said the words. The person doesn't even know what the gospel is. They don't know what the bad news is. They don't know what the good news is. In fact, there's no wisdom that can be derived from just saying the magic words. There's so much about the propitiation, redemption, there's righteousness, there's justification, there's being born again. What does that mean? There's all kinds of understanding about the gospel that needs to be taught. Unfortunately, churches are not teaching the gospel. Many churches and people, as a result of their not teaching the gospel, are left with ignorance when it comes to the details about salvation. It's a very dangerous thing. This is why I'm turning to 2 Corinthians 4. I'm not turning to it, but I'm using this verse, which is a rough verse. For our gospel is hidden. It is hidden to those who are lost, the unbelievers. And Satan's job is to keep the gospel shrouded in you know, oh, you, you don't really have to get into the detail. Just say the magic words and you'll be saved. And a lot of people, unfortunately, have done just that. Now, as soon as you start talking to them, you realize they have a surface understanding of the gospel. You ask them, well, what did Christ did, do? Well, he paid for my sins. What does that mean? I don't know. Do you have to pay for them? I might. I'm not sure. What does it mean that he paid for them? Well... Do you have to pay for it? Can you pay for him and he pay for him too? I don't know. That's a deep question, they'll say. Really, the Bible comes right out and tells us. And really, it's not a matter of just saying what that phrase. It's a matter of teaching people to understand what that phrase means. The gospel is not something just to recite. The gospel is something that needs to be taught. Unfortunately, too many fallen into this trap where they haven't been taught the gospel at all what they've been taught to say is come down here shake my hand and now since you've done that you're saved but salvation is a lot more than that it is an awakening of your spirit to god it is literally waking up to god you will understand and see spiritual realities when you're saved. So, but much of the experience of many it has been robbed of the very salvation that God is trying to offer. So what does it mean, point G, in your heart? The person understands and believes the truth revealed by the Spirit. In other words, in the person's heart, the person literally has made a decision in their heart and they have adopted this truth as their own. They trust it. They rely on Christ. They believe in him in their heart. It's a conclusion. It's a, it's a result. It's not, well, if I did this, if I said this, then that means... I must have it. No, you have it when God the Holy Spirit made that information real to you. And you understand the issues of the gospel and you believe them. You trust the matter of your soul salvation to Christ. And you have to understand to be able to do that. All right, so let's finish it off with this last part. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I say, yes, you will be saved, justified, have eternal life, be born again, pass from death to life. She'll never come into judgment. Be reconciled to the Father and be in Christ. And that is for those in this age. 
Now, I would ask everybody, if you want some homework to do, if you don't already have enough, if you're not challenged enough already, please add the scripture references for each of those thoughts above. You do it. This is for you to go to the Bible, find out where it actually says those things, and make sure you make a note of it. Uh, use, use my notes so that you can make a note of every thought that's here, of where that can be found in the Bible. That's homework for you. Point B, right now, there are only two categories of people on the earth, saved or lost. This is what people don't quite understand. Right? They think, well, you know, ask them if they're saved. They say, I'm working on it. I, you know, I'm not, I can't fully say I'm saved yet, but I'm working on it. Well, you don't understand. Well, if you're not saved, if you're working on that means you're lost. Because there's only two categories of people. Saved, lost. And when you put it that way, there is no in-between, no place where you're not saved, you're not lost, but you're in the middle. There is none of that. You're either saved or you're lost. That's it. Those are the only two categories. Everybody on earth, right now, that's breathing, can be, and or will be, in one of those two categories. Not both. You'll be in one of those two categories. Alright, so, that's, that's point B. Point C, salvation happens in the moment in time. Right? It is not... The achievement of a lifetime. Right? I've worked all my life. And at the end, God says to me, welcome, come on in. You have done a great job. You're saved. No, that's, that's not what salvation is at all. Salvation happens in the moment. And Jesus likens it to physical birth. I mean, how, how is physical birth something that is a lifetime achievement? No, it happens in the moment in time when the person is born. And when they're born, they're here. They don't repeat that. Nicodemus said something ridiculous. Well, you mean, do I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Christ told him, you got to be born again. Nicodemus, you don't fully understand. Let me just go over John 3, 3 through 6. John 3, 3 through 6. We'll just get it here. And here it is, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus' response, How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks, Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. What? To people, people are really going crazy with this verse. Water, what does that mean? Oh man, you got to be baptized in water before you can be saved? Is that what he's talking about? No, not at all. Verse 6, he explains what he means by water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, water. But spirit gives birth to spirit, spirit. Water, spirit. Water is how the baby comes through uh, the amniotic fluid, the water. And the water breaks, you, you've heard it. So they have to come by water. And what is water? Flesh gives birth to flesh, physical birth. But spirit gives birth to spirit. Notice, they are both moments in time. They're none, neither of these are lifetime achievements. Okay, so six six explains verse five. If you everybody have people and they start going off about what water is and how it could mean this and got to be baptized or sprinkled or something, it's not what he's talking about at all. Okay, so point D, salvation is a permanent status. Once you have it, it's like being born. Nobody thinks about being unborn except Nicodemus. He's the only one at least that I know of, things about being unborn. It's a permanent, once you're born, you're here. That's it. I don't know why people think about you could be unsaved 
is certainly weird to think about or lost again. You, that's not a, it's a, salvation is permanent. Once you have it, you're saved, then that means you, you're not lost. Remember those two categories that we talked about. You're either saved or you're lost. Well, if you're saved, that means you're not lost anymore. You're, you're over here. You're saved. If a person says, well, I'm saved, but now I'm lost again, then that means salvation, obviously, was by their works. They never had salvation if they were pursuing a grace salvation by works. And if by grace, then it is no more grace because... You know, they pursued it by works. Romans eleven six. So Hebrews seven twenty five, we're closing here. Hebrews seven twenty five says Therefore he is able to save completely. I do like the King James Version here, to the uttermost those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. He's able to save completely. There is no like, oh, I'm working on it. Either you're saved or you're, you're not saved. That's really, it's, it's a permanent status here. Point E, salvation is near and available to you right now. And this is why we say right now, right where you sit, you can have eternal life. Right today, right while we're at this study, if you're under the sound of my voice, and you understand salvation. God has brought you to this place where you understand the issues of the gospel. The words I'm speaking to you are only validation of where the Spirit has taken those words and helped you to understand things that maybe you haven't understood before. But salvation is near to you. Just like if we were talking to the Jews and obedience was something was in their hand, in, in their mouth. It was in their heart. All they had to do do it. Same thing here. Salvation, all you have to, it's right now. It's available. It's, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to take my hand. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to weep tears at re, of repentance. You don't have to sit on a mourner's bench. All you have to do, it's in your heart right now. You understand the matter of your soul's salvation is in your hand. You could choose to manage that yourself or you could give it to Christ who is your substitute. He did all the work necessary. Pay for every sin you would ever commit. He earned righteousness before the Father so that you can have a righteous standing before God. So it's right now, as you said, you could tell in your heart. You don't have to tell me. You have to tell the person next to you, anybody, you could just tell God the Father in your heart that you believe in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, that is the very moment that eternal life is yours. And that's what the scripture says. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You will have eternal life. You have crossed over from death to life in a moment of time. Like Jesus said, you will be born again. So, we're going to close with that thought. Next week, we'll continue with more in verse 10. That explains even more detail of the teaching of the Apostle Paul on salvation. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. Oh, oh actually, before we do this, Father, let's, let's open this for Q&A. We'll take a take some time for Q&A to see if there are any questions out there and then we will close. The floor is open. Yeah, I, I just had a thought while you were uh, speaking. You know, I was just uh, thinking about the wisdom of God. The fact that he had condemned the whole human race in Adam and then he gave the law. So the the law was given after condemnation. And uh, and then he, he said, no, not one. All had fallen short. And he wasn't just speaking of them prior to the conversation. He's speaking to those throughout human history. 
So even those who are not even born yet, they fall in that category of no, not one. No, was able to to keep the law or do the will of God. And it's like he when he when he gave the law, you know, it's like he only gave it for Christ because Christ was the only one that could could keep it. And we learn, well, the fact that we we are in Bible study, we have the understanding of this of the, the schoolmaster, so to speak, and that it would bring an understanding because you know it magnifies the sin. But most people that are just coming to Christ, they don't understand all of the background like like we have it. So, but in, in God's wisdom, it just it's, we get the full picture and the understanding of what of what was done, you know, through all that God put man through. Well, yeah, the very essence of he was. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. He's bringing Christ. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go right ahead. He's bringing Christ. He's bringing, yeah, he's bringing Christ to to give us all this understanding that he was the only one that could uh, fulfill God's plan and bring all of humanity to God. So I was just thinking about the wisdom of God, how he, how he achieved that. Absolutely. Um, you know, when you say we have it and others don't, I would say everything you said I agree with. But that point right there, I just want you to know, I mean, this is in the Bible. This has been around for over 2,000 years here. So, yes, we have it as well as they have it. I know they may not have the, the understanding that we have, uh, some, but I would say... No, when, I, when, I, when, I was speaking of, when I was speaking of others, I said those that are coming, like, you know... Like because you had mentioned, wish someone would, would would ask me, how do I be saved? I mean, naturally they don't have all that understanding. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. What I said. So yeah. And, yeah, those the ones that don't have. I mean, we we've already been through it because we we we've already asked how much I be saved, and we we went further than that, and we sat in Bible study and we learned. We, we learned. See yeah. the, the wisdom of God and how it all works, but well, not them that are becoming. Right, but when you spoke, I mean. Uh, I have to say a lot of scriptures jumped out in my heart that as you were speaking, uh, you were just touching on a lot of scriptures that we have gleaned understanding and wisdom from. And I'm just going to name a couple of the ones that jumped out at me from what you said. Uh, one is in 11, Romans 11, 32, for God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. So there it is right there, God's plan to condemn the entire human race in Adam for a reason, right? He had a, he had a motive behind that. So he leveled the playing field, didn't he? So that he could have mercy or grace on them all. And then we also, you also talked about, this was before the law. And that reminded me of Romans 5, where it says in uh, verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin is reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then you also went to Romans 3. You touched on that as well where it says there's none righteous, not even one. There is none who does good, all of that. And you talked about how it was for all mankind. This is a master plan. And I think you articulated it well as well. Yeah, just throwing some scriptures to what you were saying, which just in my head, I think about the scriptures as you're talking. And sure enough, they're found. And I understand where you're coming from. So thanks for those comments. Other thoughts out there? Yeah, comparatively, I just had a very simple thought. Sure. And that was about your point that 
there are only two categories of people on earth. They're either saved or they're lost. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to point out that there's only one direction to go. Yes. Everybody is lost to start. And the only place you can go from there is either remain lost, like in John Mm 3.18, or become saved. And once you become saved, you're not going back to lost, no matter how hard you try. That's right. right. I love that, yeah. Those axioms, right? So, so one, one, um, when you say everybody's lost, and the, like it says in the scripture, there's two, like John three eighteen, right? Uh, because they have not believed in the name of one only God, Son of God, or in John three thirty six, where it says, uh, "He that believes has life, but he who does not believe shall not see life, and the wrath of God remains." It was already there. That's the position they start in. That's the position yeah. we all start in. The wrath of God remains on them. And why does it remain? Because they didn't believe. Right? That's the reason why. They continue in the lost state that they were in. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds very simple, but yeah. but when you, I was going to say, it sounds very simple to us because we understand it. God, the Holy Spirit has taught us this. But for others, we see all the different variations of things that they have come up with. And, you know, it's, it's just sometimes incredulous to us when we look at it. But just remember, we came from there as well. But go right ahead, Dwight. Yeah, I was just going to add that um, you put up the scripture, John three thirty six, And there are different translations for that. And... and um, the ESV, as well as the King James, etc., will talk about obedience. Um, they will use to obey. Um, so ESV, for example, will say, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. However, if we take a look at the original Greek definition of the word that was translated to obey, we see that it was refusal to be persuaded. Yes. So this isn't, you know, this isn't, um, you know, inactivity. This is somebody who is who is fighting against believing. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know how somebody says uh, uh, they don't want you to do something, and you say, "I'm going to do it anyway," and they say, "Over my dead body, you're going to do it." You know, that's very strong to say that or something, but in essence, you have to trip over. The body of Christ in order to be lost. That's how it all works out. If you say you want to be lost, then you have to deny or reject all that the Son has done for you and say you're going to stand on your own two feet. But you're right. The, the Greek word is not obey or obedience. And I'm noticing here that ESV it says whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the word is patho, like you said. It is not apistis, which you would think it is. Whoever believes in the Son believes is pistis. But you could say whoever does not believe will be apistis. But it's not apistis. It's apatho. Patho means refuses to be persuaded. You're absolutely right. And that is a point to make when uh, we talk to people because... In essence, we are trying, when we're giving them the gospel, we're telling them the story. We're showing them what God did. And it's a persuasive speech for them. We want them to, at the end, we want them to believe in Christ. Obviously, it's up to them, but there it is. They refuse to be persuaded. Somehow, these versions, what does the King James say? Uh, Let's see. Believeth not. See, this is where... Yeah. Believeth not. Yeah. See, that's the same as believeth, but really, it it is more is stronger than believeth not. Right. It refuses to be persuaded, which is to say that some someone or the Holy Spirit is trying to persuade them. Yeah. Go right ahead, Dwight. What were you going to say? Um. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It it, it does say believeth not. And that Greek word actually qualifies the word disbelieve, 
with a couple of um, adverbs, and they're willfully and perversely not believing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's it's quite a an aggressive stance to take against believing. And I and I think we, um, you know, one thing to note is that you said, you know, you aren't necessarily working on your salvation. Um, there isn't work, but the work is being done by the Holy Spirit to draw you to a point of believing. So God, the Holy Spirit, is working in the hearts of those who are lost to try to persuade them. That's right. Um, so it's not it's not as if the person is trying to get saved, um, but it, the work is being done by the Holy Spirit in persuading them um, to believe. Absolutely. I want to read in that regard Kenneth Wiest translation. It says this, The one who places his trust in the Son has life eternal. But he who refuses to place his trust in the Son, being of such a nature that he refuses to be persuaded, shall not see life. But the wrath of God is abiding on him. There it is. I think that pretty much says it. That's Kenneth Weiss' uh, translation. Uh, yeah, so I think the nuances of that word, are, he brought them out. It's important, I think, that they be brought out that way. And he does it as well. So, yeah, good point to make. Other thoughts before we close? All right. So it's a wrap. Let's bow our heads. Let's have a word of prayer as we close. Thank you, Father. We thank you for this message of salvation, which is free doesn't cost us anything it means there's nothing for us to do Uh, that's why it says you in your word not of ourselves it's a gift not of works lest anyone should boast we thank you Uh, it doesn't matter what we've done while we were here or how bad the world thinks we are or how bad we think we are has nothing to do with sins has to do with us accepting the grace offer and we understand the bad news. We understand there is, it is, we're not condemned because of our personal sins. We understand our condemnation comes from Adam. So we thank you for the clarity. We thank you for even down to the very words and their meanings. We thank you for those who are listening and learning uh, about this so great salvation that you have given us. Oh, we thank you not only that, but for the calling we have received. And we, as we continue, we pray that we will be challenged as, by your word, that we will continue to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.